On this episode, we see the return of Joel Smith from Just Fly Sports. I assume most of you listening to this are fully aware of who Joel is. Aside from being a phenomenal resource when it comes to all things human performance through his podcasts and his educational resources, Joel is a top-class human being. I wanted to get Joel back on the podcast to discuss the evolution of his training system and what his training system currently looks like. Guys, this was a great discussion with Joel, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Joel, really appreciate you making time. Um, how are you keeping? It's been a long time since we spoke. Very long time. No, not yeah. very long. Two years. Two well, 2021. Yeah, it was like September, August 2021. Yeah. Um, the last podcast, I don't know, maybe three years ago. I think I. No, that, that was it. That was the last. That was the last podcast we done. I I interviewed you about it was it was around about September 2021. Yeah, I think I talked to you. I think I talked to you in the fall at some point. I remember sitting in my car on WhatsApp messaging you or talking to you for a few minutes. That was a few months ago. But that's yeah, it. I yeah. could go back and check. But that's but before that, it had been a while. So I know it's yeah. been a while since we actually sat down like this and talked though. Yeah, no, podcast wise, it was it was I think September twenty one. But no, we we've communicated since that over WhatsApp and whatnot, and we we uh, yeah we had a few phone calls on WhatsApp, definitely one anyway. But uh, listen, I got in touch with you because I really just want to get um get a feel for where you are right now with your I know like the model is the big word everyone uses, but like like what is currently your training system, your training model, and it was kind of I know we had a bit of a a joke there before we went on saying we're like we were mapping out your journey you mapped out your journey i was like i kind of mapped out your journey as well and like in my notebook here i just kind of kind of like basically took like a a timeline of like how i see you've evolved through the podcast is like you know early on the podcast we were talking a lot about like db hammer and jay schrader and then obviously you had the the likes of dan victor and chris and cal come on and there was all the talk about like you know db hammer and the book that was brought out there a lot about like the nervous system and then obviously Adirian Barr has been a big influence um, and then you did a big deep dive in feet and the function of feet and you had lots of guests on about feet like so Gary Gray um, and you had other, other multiple guests too around the feet and then Christian Thibodeau and his neurotyping I know that was sort of an area you explored for a while and then obviously this whole compression expansion respiration gait model now has been sort of on your radar for the last couple of years and so I would. I really just wanted to get you on the podcast and to sort of ask you, okay, how have you taken all of these influences, if you like, and put them into sort of a coherent training system that is yours? So the question is, like, what currently right now is your training system? <laughs> That's a good question. I was like, man, I, I tell you, I had to write. I was mapping before we logged on to, to chat. And even as you were asking, I was kind of making some last notes because... I think that's a lot of times, and I'm, I really appreciate you thinking about that for this podcast, because I think a lot of times we kind of, um, you know, just like when we're driving a car, our mind, the actual driving of the car is on autopilot for, you know, and then we're thinking about whatever else in our lives. And I, I think it's very easy for coaching to turn into that. It's like, it's like an autopilot with you, you where you're never doing these self audits or you're letting someone else audit or, you know, put their opinions in on your system and taking that. Honestly, I actually, I did. I really liked how you were talking about, yeah, you started, it was like DB hammer and it was, it was interesting. And I'll start with this is it was almost, I mean, and I'll start with this. Actually, I'll start with this is that I come from a track and field background. So it's, this is something I do think about is the ability to, you can't be everything. And the thing that comes most naturally is the thing that you on a regular daily basis can feel and perceive in your own body. 
it's the reason that he like you don't go to study martial arts from somebody who studied it in college and then you know train people but never was the master you know when in history did that ever happen like never you know you always go to the master and so that in the self-mastery comes that intuition that you can present but I think if anything, I've kind of realized, or the thing I've been through the process of is understanding where my own intuition and self-reflection for some of these things that I've absorbed, where that will really be beneficial for some people, but where like I was a track jumper, right? So anyone who's kind of like a track jumper, I have pretty good success with, you know, it's just like, that's, but if you're not, then, then I have to almost put myself completely in your shoes to feel what it's like, even, you know, to the point where compression expansion doing things to my body in a sprint that make me for example feel more like this is what a wide feels like i feel what this person who's a wide infrasternal angle feels like running and moving and just because i think we often take that for granted so that's you know the first thing is i think it'll uh, trying to both understand the benefit the, the advantages and limitations of how i've run this through my own system uh, for me personally uh, and then when I coach people trying to understand where do they fit, like, where are they coming from with that? Uh, so that would be one. Um, but yeah, you were, you were talking about, uh, I'm trying to keep my mind on a solid train here, but I think it's interesting how you're like, yeah, you start with the power, like all the track, you know, all the force, like all the, the very, and I would call it almost more of a Western initiation in the sense of Western philosophy versus Eastern. The map I made was... I don't know if this is right, but I have on one side, I have more yang or more masculine or more quantitative influences. On the other, I have more yin or more feminine or more qualitative influences. On the top, that's on the left and the right. On the top is external. So things that are a little bit more external, more visible on the outside, more that probably goes with yang, but things that are more like, um, here's the here's the script, here's what you can do. On the bottom, I have more internal things that are more like perceptive, feeling oriented. It's probably kind of the same thing as the yin and the yang. But um, so maybe my map got a little skewed. But I I definitely started more, and I think traditional track and field is just very much like this. It's the sport that is outputs, and you read the program, and hey, this was the template, this was the program, and then you do it, and and I think that gets you a good portion of the way there. But it does it definitely does not get you all the way there, and it will not solve that problem for every athlete. And so, as the podcast progressed, I think, and I, I've always respected. I guess you could just say the power of the mind. But if you just say the mind, it doesn't really get you anywhere because then it's just you know you you have to have some level of a framework. And I will say that spending time at Cal. So while I'm doing the podcast and all this, I'm also working with the men's and women's swim teams as one of my teams I was working with. And one of the best things about working with those teams was spending time on deck with the coaches. And Cal had won, had a really big history in swimming on both the men's and women's side, like multiple Olympians, uh, people who had world records at some point or still have them. Um, they had won a numerous amount of NCAA championships. So spending time with these coaches, you realize that, and it's funny because I think strength and conditioning or physical preparation, it's they always poke at sport coaches. Like, oh, the sport coaches don't understand the science in this, you know, and they're just all the art and blah, blah, blah. But what I found in, and, and swimming was cool because it, to me, it's the most intuitive of the output sports because 
like you're in water, which requires more just like digging into your technique over and over and over again. It's in a small pool, 25 yards. So the coach is watching you go back and forth instead of repeatedly with that technical, the whole team is more together. So there's more team elements in there versus track. Everyone just could be all over the place. And so I just realized just how much those coaches absolutely and deeply prioritized like team dynamics. Like, is the team connected? Do they have like cell core groups where the upper and lower classmen are connected, for example? Do they have team building exercises? Are the swimmers happy? What's their stress levels like in their academic life? Um, and then motivation, like do they, are the swimmers, let's start out with the swimmers, like laughing, doing a social kick together and community first. And then not also too, how was the workout distributed? It was not just, Hey, here's the workout today, do it, or we'll go through it. But it was hidden. Like you'd see part of the workout, then the board would flip. Here's the next part. It's like, it was more like life. Like when in nature does an animal, all right, I'm about to get chased by a lion. And before I even get chased, well, here's the exact route I'm going to, of course, it doesn't work like that. And that's not to say that a planned workout is not valuable, but I just think that it's a little bit of both. And uh, that comes also from my own experiences as an athlete. And when was I the most athletic and explosive? And it was never the most regimented, but it also wasn't the total free for all. It was this combination of all these things that make us uniquely human. And so as I learned from watching swim and I think I was able to get more and more guests on the podcast, like Logan Christopher, who runs Lost Empire Herbs and wrote Mental Muscle and you know, Amateur Strongman, but really individualization, like talking with him, doing like self-hypnosis and things. And that really started to spark my interest. And then also just seeing athletes who, uh, especially in swim, because you, you see everybody. It's like I have 50, 60 athletes I'm working with every year. And they don't all improve equally, even though they're on the same program, right? And it's like, okay, well, physiological differences. All right, yeah, that sure, that's maybe some of them. Maybe someone's more fast twitch or someone's more intermediate twitch on a program. But ultimately, what I saw that definitely transcended that was people's mental states. Like, it, it, it couldn't be more night and day sometimes between just the way that people walk in the door of the weight room. I mean, and this is the weight room for swimming. Like this is going to help you a little bit, but it's not like going to light the world on fire, you know, like, um, and you started to really see trends of what, what really made people successful. And so I saw it too with tennis and, and injury rates and enjoyment of the process. So that, that really got me, um, into more of that track. I will say too, uh, I had a really good experience and I think fate brought this together as when I was in California, Paul Cater, who's been on my show, he's a coach in central California. We had met in Spain 10 years before I moved to California and um, yeah, 10 years almost. And we reconnected there and, and he was the most like, like if you want to talk about connecting art and science, like he uses, he has the force plates and the data, but he's, he's one of the most artistic coaches I know, like literally just He's got his main sets written out, like, hey, you guys are going to hit these squats and RDLs at the end, but he'll make up the whole warm up, ramp up leading up to that little piece every time based on the group in front of him. And it's it's just this like awesome artist and you feel so much better too. It's not like, oh, it's the art. It's cool. It's a nice experience. It's like, no, I'm jumping higher by the end of this. I'm running faster. I'm stronger and more ready to lift heavy weights because of the way that this went about because of the art, not because, and we eventually got to the science or the quantitative stuff. Um, so being around those people 
and you know, I, I'll, 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 let alone a Darien bar too, which is biomechanics. I mean, I can take this so many, I can take this so many ways so we can get into that too, but being, having those experiences started to really curve and shape, I think who I just kind of started to seek out as guests a little bit more. Um, I really started to seek out because I, I guess, you know, Michael Zwiefel was on my podcast recently. He runs uh, Iran. He sold it, building better athletes. It was really into perception, reaction and motor learning and, and all that whole landscape. And now he coaches football. And, you know, he's, he had said like, like everyone's kind of doing the same thing. Like if you, like you have to do something that's wholesale different to kind of break, break through, you know? And I think that the thing that I've seen that's wholesale different is that merger of intuition, like, like trying to fully merge who we are from a qualitative and the ability to use tools, you know, humans use tools, technology and quantify things, but also to really fully leverage the human, the mental, the, or the emotional and the perceptive and the nature oriented sides of ourselves. And so that's really, um, that's been, that's what's influenced a lot of my guest selection. I, I think compared to back in the day, it was mostly track and qual qualitative and force. <laughs> and those are good. Those are good things. That was a good foundation, but I don't, I don't tend to look at those things as much as I used to. Um, I, not that I wouldn't mind a good, I actually have a good speed and power show lined up for today that I'll be recording later, but I, and, and I, I do enjoy those conversations, but I think the things that are important to me the most are the things that try to integrate and make sense of these things and simplify the process and try to keep it as organic as possible. So I hope I didn't get too off on any trails there, but that's maybe been a summary of kind of where I've headed and what's influenced my um, journey in that, in that path. No, that's a great snapshot into your evolution. So just for, this is for me personally, like it's a selfish question. So what does that look like now in practice? So let's just say I show up to the facility that you're currently working out of. And I say, listen, I'm a hurler. This is the sport I play here in Ireland. I'm here for three months with you or whatever. Say I signed up to a year training with you where it's, you know, I'm with you for a few weeks and then I'm back in Ireland. But anyway, let's just say I show up personally. Robbie Burke shows up. To, to be trained by to, to be trained by Joel Smith like what does that whole process now look like like is there you know do we sit down and talk for the first you know day to get to get to know like the goals of the program and just obviously we know each other a bit but let's say if we didn't is it just to get a feel for personalities and then is there an assessment or do you do an assessment or how's that evolved like was it like you know I used to do assessments I used to do I know you didn't do this, but like some people, I used to do FMS and now yeah. I'm like, ah, whatever. I just look at infrasternal angles now and I just look at that lens now or whatever, you know? And then, okay, with your assessment, is there a movement piece? Is there a testing of biomotor abilities or, or physical capacities? Uh, and then the program and what does that now look like? You know, was it like, you know, I used to be Charlie Francis high and low and now I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> you know, it's, it, yeah, I've moved. You know, to, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 this now, or, or it's a bit of both now, or like because I know another person who's influenced you too. Or you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but is is Austin like in terms of like his warm up yeah. and his play, like where mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, you were, I think you might have said before, you know, again, kind of you touched this a little bit there, there like that, you know, this thing that we're very structured and you know structured sort of sessions, and even though like you didn't, you didn't necessarily say this, but I think I've heard you talk before, like you know, structured warm ups, and then there's just like, you know, you're and you're so right in your car analogy that you can just be on autopilot. It's so true with your programs, and I've actually had these thoughts too because I've obviously been very influenced by Mike Boyle in my earlier parts of my career. Mm -hmm. 
and you know obviously listen I was young and I was in the field and you know when you're young you don't have the frame of reference to really make sense of this whole strength and conditioning world so like when you hear a little bit of like what sounds like a little bit of logic you're like so like you know with the whole core train it's like oh Porterfield and the Rose and, and Shirley Sarman and the lumbar spine doesn't move that much like, yeah I, I kind of buy that but then as I got as I did get older I was kind of like why do we do that training? I'm like, if we really, really sat down and go, but why? But like, why? Like, and it's just kind of like, then like, as I got older, I was like, ah, there's something about some of the lot of things we do that just, it doesn't smell right anymore to me, you know? And it's funny because I listened to your conversation with Angus Bradley and you got, you were kind of like, you know, this whole sort of hinge and squat and push and pull and you were just kind of like, ah, yeah, but it's real artificial. It's like, that's not human movement, though. It's kind of like movements we created for weight room activities. And it's just like, yeah. so it kind of even like it's these sort of top roses have been similar in my mind for a long time. And it's so funny. A thing lately that was in my mind is like, I think even like things like face potentiation is all bollocks now. You know that? <laughs> you, know, you know, and then and Mladen Janovich literally on Twitter this morning, I was and he goes, he goes, yeah, this this face potentiation probably doesn't matter for the most part. You know what I mean? Like you know, this idea we go to hypertrophy and strength and then power and the people who make these sort of you know real arguments about it and get real dogmatic about it. You know, it's like no, it has to be just like Mike Stone said. It's like okay, Greg Half, okay, and then mm-hmm. and obviously John Kylie comes in and fucking shits all over that. Like yeah, um, I love John Kylie. I know. Yeah, well, sorry, I, I I've got I've gone on my own rant there now. But go back to the original question here: is what does your training system look like in practice? So if I was to show up as yeah, an yeah. athlete, you know, you take me through that. Yeah. So I mean, let's just say you're in college. Did you say hurling or hurdling, Robbie? <laughs> hurling is in the Irish part. Not, I know. Not, not, I know. Not, uh, That's what I figured. Up. That's what I figured. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. If you were, I mean, I guess part of it would be: Are you just training with me for three months? Are you? I'm assuming you're going to be doing some sort of sport practice, you know, or like, I mean, let's just say you're. I don't know. I've, what? Yeah. What? Um. Uh, let, let's just say you you'll be doing you know some level of practice outside the facility, but you're coming to me because you want to get faster and stronger and more robust and enjoy the process. Um. So usually what I'll do is I will start with a little bit of talking. Um. I also realize too when I'm coaching, like I look at what, um, the way that I frame training, and I also try to understand what the athlete wants and needs. My way I tend to frame the process is to talk and explain a lot. But I'm also pretty sensitive of when I'm just taking away from the session, you know. Uh, so right when I, if you were to come in, the first thing is, yeah, I'll, I'll talk. If I haven't got your background before through email or, you know, on the phone or whatever, I'll try to gather at least enough information about you that I feel like I have at least a decent enough handle on things. I'll also try to find, too, that at least we have some level of connection, maybe something outside of training itself and just something that you feel you know, it's, it's, it's almost, you can go into the overly somatic element. Cause I think like what you get like into the somatics, like you're the Feldenkrais or you can get like, yeah, I think it's going to be traced that you need to feel safe, but you do need to feel safe. You need to have a basic level of safety and trust and know that this person is, they're not just trying to like, you know, like put a, you know, notch in their training belt. I don't get these great results and you're going to be another number in line, but like, no, I, I genuinely care about you. And I, I generally, I genuinely want not just for you to get good results, but I want this to be an experience that you absolutely enjoy that makes your life better. So, you know, it, but getting a background and then having at least some level of conversation that shows that it's, it is training, but there's also, Hey, you know, something outside of your life as well, that might be in influenced or, or in that, in that mix of things. Um, and I think that's, that's really, that's really important. It is funny though. Sometimes you get into 
you'll see in personal training, like the whole thing is people talking about all the other annoying things in their life. And I'm like, no, no, you're not training at all. So, you know, but it's just enough that, 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 um, that that's established. Uh, what I'll do movement screens. I don't have a movement screen to me. The thing is the movement screen, but I will selectively do it. If I feel it's necessary. I'm very um, conscientious of not uh, DJ Mirakami, who's been on my show uh, recently. Uh, he's a trainer out of LA. I and and him and others talk about this is not nociboing anybody. So I think it's very easy to, like, let's just say I'm doing the FMS. You know, if I wanted to make money, I'm going to do the FMS and I'm going to give all the kids in town a free trial. And they're going to come in and they're going to get a bad score. And I'm going to say, oh, well, you know what? If you got this score, you know, I think you'd be more injury proof or would tell that to their parents. And of course, now you're getting all these kids, right? So like, but then the kid is almost like, you know, ho hopefully they're just having fun. I wonder how much some of those kids even care about those scores. I hope they don't care too much. But um, it would be, <laughs> I just, I, I'm always wary of a test that is either a nocebo where it's like you have this wrong or even i remember when i first did um when i it was called be activated i would still be activated like douglas heel and and now you know chris and them and, and cal and, and taking it into rpr um but back when it was only be activated uh, there was a gentleman who was a practitioner of that who they would like test you they would like test your psoas strength they push on your leg you know do applied kinesiology based testing and push on your leg and and say, all right, well, you're a, you know, you're a one, two or three, or you're this type of, you're, you're getting your power from the hip. You're getting it from the knee. You're getting it from the hand tensing up or whatever. And this one guy literally made everybody into the worst. He's like, oh, I tested this team and they were all the, you know, the word, whatever the worst category was, the, the three out of the bottom. And, and, and I, when I was getting tested with this guy, I went to like a level two and this guy was testing me and he was totally pushing harder than he should have. Like, I know, like I, I know when people are faking that test because they don't want to look bad. They're selling it. The, it. Just a caveat too, if anyone's listening to this, it's like applied muscle testing where you're getting, let's say someone's just pushing on your, your leg at an angle to test a muscle. And according to MAT, you're only supposed to put 20 pounds of force in. People cheat that all the time so they can get the test they want. Anyways, this guy was just, he was just trying to make me deficient so he could then offer me the solution. But if you are in that process where someone keeps saying, well, this is wrong with you, you don't have this range of motion, you can build that story around yourself. And then you become more dependent for things outside of yourself. And I'm not saying that interventions aren't needed or helpful from time to time, but I think that if you create this cycle where you're always relying on intervention, and, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong. I think that that can be a negative thing. So bottom line is they'll come in, talk, try to develop some level of relationship that transcends just training. Uh, you call it the social kick, like social kick in swimming is you just get the, grab the board and you kick with your buddies. And it's not about training. It's just about connection. Um, and so the movement screen, it depends on if you're a hurler, the average things I'm going to run you through is probably going to take you through about 10 minutes of I'm just going to have you do some different crawls, different lunges, skips. Skips is one I almost always start with because it tells me you're about your not just your body, but your mind. Are you a try hard? Do you have rhythm? You know, are you do you have the rhythm on or are you like the super try hard guy? And so it just tells me what is your what is where's your movement coming from? What um like what thought processes are going behind this? Am I Am I doing something to make the coach happy? Did, hey, I, someone told me this position about skipping once, so I'm going to really do that position. Or 
do you really get into the reflexive like parts of your body where you actually are reacting and it's coming from more of an internal deeper rhythm? Like if you watch Usain Bolt warming up for sprinting, for example, I'm not saying by that, that everybody needs to warm up exactly like Usain Bolt, but it tells me something about how you view movement and what your intentions are. I, I don't view it as, and a, a really great swim coach had said this when he, he actually would warm his athletes up on the land and then they'd go in the water and he would watch them and say, I'm trying to figure out what they're thinking. And I think that's so different. So many coaches will just say, all right, line up for a skips or whatever. And then they'll proceed to say, well, your, your toe up isn't up. Your toe isn't up. Your toe isn't up. It's not like, it's not an immersive thing. It's just like, it's the, the typical coaching is as if athletes are machines. And well, if they just do this thing that I found on page seven, part B, that if they fix that, their that machine will be better. It doesn't work like that. So yeah, I'll take you through yeah, skips, crawls, lunges, some sprints, different movements like that. Um, and I will then start to gather what I feel like my profile towards you is. If I feel like in the course of doing that, that I need to, you know, do like if I do a screen, I I use Alex Effer's uh, screen series. So I took his mentorship last summer. Very similar. It's all kind of in that right Bill Hartman world, like learned a lot from people who've learned from Bill, like Katie St. Clair, I've taken some of her uh, smaller courses and things like that. So, but if I do a screen, uh, I did go through Alex's mentorship and it was, and we I went into, I probably went into his screen more than anybody I have and it makes sense. So if I do get to a screen, I will do that. And for training online clients, I usually will have them do a few of those screen motions since I'm not there in person, just to kind of gather that profile. Um, and so from there, yeah, once I've gathered that about you, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the workout or the training. So there'll be, you know, it depends. Like, let's just say you're with me. If you're with me four days a week, chances are you're going to be on a split. That's kind of like a push pull. I kind of look at it almost a little bit more like anterior chain posterior, like two days a week, we're doing more squat stuff. Two days a week, we're doing more sprint stuff. Uh, three days a week, you know, we might do more of a traditional, you know, split in terms of uh, every other day is like a single leg day. Every other day is a bilateral type day, something like that. But that, but the thing is, is that is a smaller part. Like the lifting is a relatively smaller part of my total program, especially for someone who would be like a hurler. If you're not in American football or not in rugby and you don't need armor, in my opinion, I don't think you need to lift for 60 minutes or 50 minutes. I just don't. It, and, and the thing is too, is it, you know, unless you just freaking love it, and that's another thing too, is I also want to gauge what are you getting out of this movement? So the whole time I'm kind of monitoring and I'm looking for your, I guess you could call it esoteric to say energy, but what is your total emotional response to these means? So again, in looking at, like I talked about the swim coach looking at, well, what's this person's intention? When they're, What are they trying to do? Um, I'm also looking at how, what, what emotional read did I get to you get, uh, did I get from you when you did these movements? Was there, did you like light up after like a heavy set of squats? Like I'll watch athletes, some athletes in particular, they're kind of like in a shell, like, you know, the whole rest of the training session. And then you turn the music on and they hit a few heavier sets of squats and they're everything in their face and their countenance has completely changed. Some athletes that's more than others. And so that would be something I'm like, yeah, that person really needs that. You could call that heavy lifting drug or whatever. Like that person probably needs that more maybe than this other person who didn't get that changeover. You see that a lot in tennis too, by the way. Like tennis, a lot of those players, they could care less. You know, if you look at the changes in their emotion after lifting or heavy lifting, zero change, not invested, don't care. 
as stupid as you might say it is, you bust out the agility ladder <laughs> and you do some patterns and they're excited about that. And to be honest, it's funny because I would rather do the things or spend more time, not not do particular things, but I would rather spend more time proportionally on the things that an athlete is excited about and they resonate with than the things that just, oh yeah, well, you should just do this. So um, a lot of it, yeah, would be based off of that type of um, process for you. So, and then, you know, we, of course, we'll use all the typical things, you know, sprint stuff. Again, if it's more of a, my preferred schedule is kind of that four day type thing where it's like the anterior posterior days. And then if you're in the other two days, maybe it's more of a recovery, general strength type stimulus. Maybe we'll go and go run in the Creek. I like getting outside to in nature. If, if you're here in Ohio, I'm probably going to have you do a Creek run with me, at least on a Wednesday or Saturday. I find that Creek running too tells me how fast your brain can solve problems because I, I found that if you get like, and my Creek, the Creek I run it, it's like, you know, the rocks, they're either really close and it's easy, or they're like five or six feet apart and you kind of have to bound and skip and hop and you have to process information on the fly. That's what good athletes can do, you know? And so it's, there's like a fearlessness that comes with that, but it's also like cardio. So yeah, it's something that in nature, at least on one of those, at least on one, uh, if not both of those recovery days is typical, but if it's a three day, you know, we can, we work that into, and that's where I kind of said, I, and this is where I, 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 you know, like kind of doing a self audit, I find that I tend to start to, because I've had so much success with a particular template, I, I get almost afraid to not do that template for particular clients. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got this template down so good based off a three day rollover type thing that, that. I, I've become so good at that. Sometimes like, oh, I got to go back to a high-low. Okay, well, all right. I think I know how to do this. <laughs> you go back to high-low or whatever. So anyways, that's a snapshot of what it would look like. If you'd like to me to go into more detail on anything, I'd be happy to do so. I know that speaking in generalities sometimes, it's like, what are some nuts and bolts? Tell me some. Tell me a sample sets and rep scheme. And I, you know, I'm happy to, happy to uh, go into whatever uh, with all that. So, you know, um, ask away or any questions you have with that. No, that's perfect foundation there and you give give brilliant context there for some follow-up questions um yeah so some deeper ones too so just with the session design and again me take me as the as the the uh the client here and hurling being the sport so it's, it's you know it's it's a speed power sport essentially you know it's a field-based sport very similar demands to in ways similar to the characteristics of sort of soccer, if you like, um, maybe a little more physical, um, and probably have well, no, the run demands actually wouldn't be as as big. Gaelic football now, the run demands would be hmm. would be a little bit higher. There wouldn't be quite as Gaelic football is actually very similar to Australian rules, but Australian rules has a lot more distance covered in terms of in in terms of um, running volume. The the, the volumes not off the charts, mm -hmm. but sorry, session wise, then would you be very much focused? Would it look like a lot of speed sprinting, change direction? That would sort of be like the main sort of focus. With obviously, you know, the strength as like uh, auxiliary supportive type stuff, or the you know, I want to say strength sort of weight room type work. But yeah, what would that look like then? The speed, like the volumes, and then just. A little follow up on that. Where are you now with programming? Like, you know, like, are you like, you know, you said there's, you might do a, a three day rollover, you might do high low, but are you doing like any like four week blocks, five week blocks, or is it just like, listen, you're here for 12 weeks, we just do 12 weeks, and I just go off field and see how you're feeling day to day. 
within this sort of sort of structure of if it's a three day rollover or if it's these two anterior posterior days, if it's four days a week, like do you do you even do like these blocks anymore, or is it like no, we just like you know, like this is I'm kind of going. I, I won't say any more now because I've asked you two questions there. So like just session session within the session is there like a lot of speed and uh, change direction or agility type stuff you're going to do with me with very sort of minimal weight stuff as just sort of supportive. And then where are you at with sort of your training sort of organization? Are you doing blocks anymore? Or is it just soft feel? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go into the, that weekly setup with the speed stuff. Um, so the way that I kind of run it, I, again, I'm, I look at back to where my, where, where do I lie and where's my bias come from? It's more track jumping. So it's like, there's going to be more of that premium, that absolute premium on that power development, that speed development as the core of things. And then, well, let's let the conditioning emanate from that as as needed. So I'm also a person too who, if I if I check myself, I'm definitely more of a, uh, more so than a let's plan it out, detail it out ahead of time. I want this volume. I want this. I want this. Uh, I am definitely more of a person who would like just as well say, hey, you know, we got 45 minutes in this chunk of time and, and it's a COD stimulus. So we're, I'm just going to play small sided games with you for 45 minutes. Like that, I would, that I would defer to that. And maybe that does absolve me of some detail, which is, yeah, I think you need a little bit of both. You need someone to like audit your system with that, but that that's the type of coach and person that I am. And I'm not saying that I think, I do think you need that human side, like in a COD, let's say, you know, I, I do believe strongly that it would be much better than saying, okay, well, here's your volumes and here's the directions all you need to go and da-da-da. And and are, we got this volume, great. I think it would generally be probably better to play a small set of game for the same amount of time because now you infuse emotion and you infuse competitiveness and the quality of that is much better. But I know like, and this also too, I'll be honest, like this reflects where I don't, um, most people who come to me want to improve their speed and their power. And they're not... Um, they're not as concerned with if they need to get in better shape, I'll just up the um, like the Wednesday, Thursday, like aerobic volume, you know, that component that's usually and it. I've never gotten a complaint saying oh, I, I hit camp and I was, you know, it's always been good. So I've always you could say I've always got away with it and people get more powerful and faster. And so that's a solid thing for them. I do think, though, like I, I'm really intrigued. I had Nick DeMarco on my podcast and he talked about his eight vector system. I was like, man, you know, if you were going to do. Like, I mean, if you're going to work, I'm sure if you're going to work in the college sector and they have to explain your program to your head coach, you need some direction. And what his direction, it seems amazing. Like he was describing it on the podcast he did with me. And I was like, yeah, I would, this is definitely a system I would look to use because he has like the, all the different vector changes laid out, but he also has grounds for creativity and creative problem solving in that more organized system. So if that was my job where I'm not like, a speed and power guy who you're going to come to and improve your movement quality. And it's a little bit more general. If I have a very specific speed and power directive and I work for a sport, I would look to have the structure that he does, but then have options for creativity. Um, anyways, I'm kind of getting off track with that. I, I want, what I want to say is I, I'll, I'll just get to the meat and potatoes or the nuts and bolts. The change of direction tends to fit more with my squat type days. Um, and then the speed, the linear stuff would fit more with a posterior chain type day. So, and then do you have the Wednesdays and Saturdays or whatever the, recovery days that are more general in nature. So I, I view, I view that, um, squatting does fit a little bit more with COD type stuff, close games. If you were trying to pair them up, I do like the idea it's, um, you know, Dan Fichter, DB hammer talk about factorization or higher volume. I, I really am a big fan of higher 
frequency stimulation. Like I think that, and I forget what strength coach or pairs of strength coaches I first heard this from. This was back when I was in more of my, you could say like more quantifiable, like linear type days where that was the most of information I was getting. But it was a coach who was saying that, oh, when we changed from, oh, this is for American football preparation, from like, let's say speed and agility on Mondays and Thursdays, like those are our speed days. He's like, when we spread that out more to like Mondays and Thursdays are speed, Tuesdays and Thursday, or sorry, Tuesdays, Fridays, change the direction, we got better results. And I could see that because to me, it's like, I, I think that as long as, especially with COD or stuff that's more alive and that has more variability, you can recover from that pretty quickly. And I think it, to me, I think one of the things that I've tried to escape is a little bit more of a fragile thinking where, oh, I can only train speed this often in a week. It's like, well, that's not what sport is. You're going to go to practice and run as fast as you can on some context, like every day, you know, it might not be 30 or 40 meters in a straight line. But so I I have generally found that I like spacing that out. And so a linear speed day would pair with more of a, like a power clean deadlift type stimulus, medicine ball throws, stuff that's more hinging in nature. Um so that that would kind of be a main I was thinking of Julian Pinot is he's got my mind an internal and external torque. And there's those torques are in all things, but I view that as um, you know, it's a little bit more of a hinge day, which he would classify as internal torque, but I'm like, well, it's kind of external torque too. Anyway, so I, this kind of rabbit hole I'm trying to sort out, but it's more of that posterior chain, just higher velocity. You could just call it, it's more hip and ankle stimulus and hamstring. And then you're gonna go to the next day, the COD and squats and those would pair together a little bit more. The sad thing is I don't really upper body. I don't really have like a bench. I don't know. I don't really, that's always kind of thrown in as an afterthought, which I think some people don't like sometimes um, that I just like, you know, I, I, I would view the, the bench pressing fitting with the squatting though um, in that type of stimulus, but how you would get there though. So if this is my typical session is we're going to, let's say, say it's a COD day. We're probably going to use a small sided game of some sort for that. Or we're going to pair a COD, like a pro agility with a squat stimulus an oscillating squat stimulus. You're going to go back and forth on some level. Uh, if it's, I, I, I'm really not a huge fan of, um, like, like COD that's more canned, I guess you could say that doesn't have at least like some, some specificity or creative outcomes or outlets or things like that. Or, if I do like a pro agility, I would time it and I would use it as just it's this is about the training stimulus. This isn't going to help you react better on the field, but we do want to treat this as a training stimulus. So it would be like a time COD. Um, that squat day is also a day where I would do jump stuff. So if you want to jump, uh, the jumping tends to fit with I view jumping a little bit more as a vertical anterior day. So that's pretty much where that goes. Uh, bounding would go on the posterior chain day. So that that's where that gets kind of close. It almost could go on either day. Uh, so that's, that's, what's going to be in that. Um, and I, for the speed typically, okay. So the COD, I prefer to use games, small sided games for the speed type days. I would just probably warm you up and take you through a typical speed training stimulus. Um, you know, maybe we're doing twenties today, but the thing when I do speed, one of the things that's nuances to me is I don't, um, I don't like, you can do it. It's fine. But like, I don't necessarily like saying, all right, we're in a 20 today. You're going to do three twenties. They're all out, all out. And we'll get your best time. And we'll rank it. And that's cool. But I, I've become much more of a fan of like ramping. So it's like, and, and you don't have to do this. I don't, again, I don't think you should do this every time. Cause I think some days you should be mentally able to just go all out. You know, I don't want anyone to mentally attune to only one way, but what I typically do is like, all right, instead of saying we're going to do four max, we're going to do six or nine. And they're in sets of three. 
you know, like Nikola Tesla, like the secrets of the universe. So you got um, your first one is seven out of 10 effort, second one, eight, third one, nine. All right, let's go back to the bottom, seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine. And I find that especially if you're a try hard type, we did the skipping and you're trying really hard and you're really trying to force everything, just constantly making it more of a wave. So it's not always you against you, max time, best time giving you opportunities just to feel and kind of let the effort of it also help you attune to how your body's working. I find to be helpful and you actually get a little bit more volume in, which I think is actually a good thing. So uh, if you're more of a intermediate twitch individual versus a fast twitch super cat, you know, maybe I'll have shorter rest periods for that kind of thing. So maybe you'll do more, maybe you'll do a couple sets more. And most soccer players are hurlers, you know, football that's not American, more of an intermediate twitch type, more likely you're going to have a few fast in there, but I think it's fine to do shorter rest for some of those people. Um, you know, not like 40 seconds, but maybe instead of four minutes full recovery, five minutes full recovery between 20s, maybe we do 90 seconds. And then between sets of three, I'll give you two minutes. Maybe we do that for a little bit. And I think that's okay for more of an intermediate twitch soccer hurler type stimulus. So yeah, something like that, you know, but I will probably do, if it's in person, uh, and yeah, I will say too, with linear speed, I'll probably be a little bit more, I guess, you know, persnickety is the word. Cause there's my track hat. I do write this out, you know, but the, the change of direction would be way more off the cuff, more likely than not. Um, so yeah, that would be a general. And then the recovery days. Yeah. Those could be tempo on the track, tempo on a trail in the woods and a light aerobic run with like some pushups and air squats and lunges and crawls, you know, mixed in. It could be, you know, it could be a game day too. You know, it could be a game day that's a low intensity type game day or a moderate intensity game day. Um, there's a lot of options there. So I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm kind of throwing a lot out, but that fits with, that's kind of how some things tend to fall in my typical template for a lot of people. Daddy, so I have two follow-ups on that. With the speed, are you emphasizing more acceleration on one day and max V on the other? So like, is the Monday more acceleration and the Thursday max V? And yeah, just with the small... Just with the small side of games, how how would you go about prescribing that if it was just you and the client? It was just the two years. Like so, like it just in my mind, I'm like, if it's just me and you, like, how am I playing a small side of game by myself? Yeah, no, that's tough. That's why I like having more people for sure. But yeah, yeah, you're right. So yeah, a lot of times it falls with one more acceleration or today, one that's more max velocity oriented. Um, and so a lot of the max velocity too, a lot, I use a lot of sprint float sprint type stimuli as well. Kind of like similar with the, I'm just very conscious of tension and relaxation, even with like the seven out of 10, eight out of 10, nine out of 10. I'm also conscientious of basically this, the human uh, people who aren't fast or, or aren't as fast as they'd like to be tend to try to make up for it by more, you know, this forebrain trying. And I think that some things that can get people into just their reactivity, tends to, I, I really like, and have had good success doing that type of thing. Uh, yeah. So if it's, if it's just you and I, sadly, I don't have another person to do some sort of type of react, like reactive game with, I mean, I might jump in and, you know, try to work with you for some things. Uh, I like doing a lot of things like with the stick, like to make you react, but that's not super change of direction oriented. I might do a thing where I have a ball and I'm like throwing it to the side of you to at least give you something that's game-like to react to. It's probably not specific to your game, but I find that movement, movement's more pure. It's more fun. You can handle more volume when at least there's some way you gamify it. So I could even like put you against the wall and your back's the wall and I just throw a ball to the side and you have to side shuffle and grab it. You know, maybe we warm up that way and then maybe we end up 
like, Hey, we got our squats and between these squats, we're going to hit a pro agility. And it's going to be the same thing. Seven, eight, nine out of 10, or I never say 10 out of 10. Rarely do I say 10 because when I say 10, that usually most people are going to strain when it becomes a 10 out of 10. So I say nine. <laughs> it's, it's, I do people ask me, I never get to 10 out of 10. It's always nine. It's funny you say that. I only watched a webinar lately there with Ken Clark and he showed a video of an American football player and he's running as fast as he can. It's a, it's a maximum velocity effort and he's going at 8.88. So just below nine meters per second. And the mechanics are not great. Like they're, they're your typical field base, you know, uh, mm-hmm large backslide mechanics when he's on mid stance there his his swing leg is behind the stance legs mm-hmm. there's, there's daylight there and then he says i just told this guy listen just run at 95 percent. just just go 95 and then he, he literally the very next run you it was literally like if if kenneth said oh this was four weeks later when we done all this like mechanics work he was like oh yeah that makes sense and this is literally the, the run straight after he just done and he ran at seven eight point seven one so he only reduce the speed minimally and you want to see like the 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 postures he was hitting it was just like way better front side way less backside when he was at mid stance his swing leg was the knees were now in line with one another it was just like is this the same person like obviously it was but you were just like how did they... just by saying that like and ken was like yeah people just strain when you say 100 we just he's like we've repeatedly found out that, that if we want to change mechanics quickly without actually having to do like <clears throat> wicket wi- he likes wickets but he's like even without wickets we just sit here just run five percent less and it was like okay they are going like a touch slower but the mechanics were so much better because they weren't straining as you just alluded to there yeah yeah i think part of it too is just um you know, I, we could get into this too, but I, I, I think that it's interesting rather than even coaching. It's so Western to coach positions like, all right, like athletes, it's like, here's the machine, here's the playbook, get in this position. It's more Eastern to, I think, look at, um, effort level rhythm, you know, uh, like awareness, like in those things and just see what happens to the mechanics just when you start to cover things that are a little bit more rhythmic in nature or, or tension, relaxation oriented or effort level. Uh, I just think, um, yeah, so often we instantly want to go to all the Western stuff or the, you know, the quantitative stuff, but just, just, um, coaching effort levels and, and just watching, just watch and just see what happens. You know, I, I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, man, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. It's, yeah. Coaching effort. That's a really, yeah, that's a little, it's, it's, it's after peaking a little light bulb in my head there. I'm going to think about that a little more. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, and also, sorry, the second part of that question, the initial question there was, you're, where are you with programming now? Like, are you, you know, oh, so the blocks, class, yeah. The, yeah, the classic way is, you know, three or four week blocks or or whatever, or are you just more now purely going on, on field? So let, let's say again, I was with you for a 12 week, I was just listening, I'm over in America for 12 weeks because that's all my visa allows me for. So <laughs> like, how, how would you plan that? Or... Uh, actually, I was going to use another example. Let's say actually you had an athlete and they had to quote unquote peak in 12 weeks for some type of event now let's say maybe it was track and field or you know how are you systemizing that in your mind like because obviously with a hurler it's more like i'm going to go into a season now where there is no real peak in a season because you've got games usually week to week or two games a week you know whereas if it was someone that was like no this week here you know is where i need to be relatively in around my best performance like how are you starting like what's your current thought process in that now because it's so funny like it's like you know you get into the field first and then you know you're with the classical models of these training, you know, like Isherin and fucking mm-hmm. Bampa and Hoff and Stone and blah, blah, blah. And 
you know, and then it's just like everyone lately is like, yeah, it's all bollocks now, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, it, and it's almost kind of in a way like the one person that kind of comes into my head a lot is Bosch, and it's like nearly everything is just like it's just like it's just variation. That's all it is. It's just everything's just very. It's like the body just needs a new stimulus and it just works for a while. And then it's like because like it's like nearly everything. Like, well, was it this? Was it the volume? Was it the intensity? Was it the exercise selection? It's like it probably just was variation. Yeah, that's probably just yeah. what it was. But anyway, yeah, so sorry. Where are you now with? programming organization and like blocks like what's what sort yeah, yeah. of comes to mind now i think that that's a good question yeah you're, you're right it kind of all does circle i'm making a circle here on my screen and i i, I like i kind of said with i think i gave the example of the lion and like the map you know and it's like you're not going to get the map before you get chased you know you're going to figure it out on the fly but at the same time, I will say this is I, I think I alluded to like the Western and Eastern thought process. And within that Western and Eastern, you have masculine thought process, processes and you have feminine. And I think this is where, excuse me, having like, like a worldview before you start is important because I think that it's very easy. Like I've heard of not some coaches I've worked with, but I've some of the some coaches who are at Cal went off and they got other jobs and they tell me about like the coaches they were working under. And it was like those coaches were like every day. It's just like, what do you feel like doing today? And they kind of write the workout out before and they didn't really have like a, a template. I don't even think, you know, and so the way I look at it is you have in in life, the masculine and the feminine, the masculine is the structure. And I think of it almost as like a water plume, like it's the structure of the plume that the, eventually the water, which is the feminine, will will glide down. Um, you could even think of it too as like it's the it's the guy who got the party together. You know, he got the party, he he set everything up, he got it all structured out, and then the girls came over and they danced. You know, that's the feminine. It's that's the beauty of that feminine energy flowing through the room and the party. You know, and like it's not a party. I feel like unless there's like women dancing on some level, you know, it's like at least a mix in a mixed gender situation because that's, that's, the, like, that's, that's the sound boy for this podcast. That's the opening line. You right can there. use that. You can call that podcast this if you like. Um, but I just think that's where it, it is. Like, I, there's a book called, called the way of uh, the superior man by David Dita. Uh, if you've read that, um, I, I love his distinction. You know, it's funny. People would, might ask me, well, what do you read now about sport? I read books like that because it tells you about like the masculine and the feminine. And it's beyond just the typical shell that I think we would put them in. But you know, that is how I look at it is like, you do need the structure of the house. Like there needs to be some overarching structure in your program. You have to. Um, otherwise, it's just kind of like, um, you, that's always you just took that bowl that holds the water, you just threw the water on the ground, just, you know, it just kind of goes everywhere. That water needs some like guide to for it to um, happen, but it also needs to be able to flow and move and that humanity needs to carry itself through that. And so, you know, for deloading, I think I used to be very, you know, when we all start, it's like, oh yeah, you got to load three weeks and deload one. I don't know why. Like, you know, let's look at Bondarchuk's training schemes. Some athletes adapt in 20 sessions, some adapt in 40. Like it's going to be all over the map. I remember when I was at Cal, uh, the, the, one of the cool things I think, I didn't think it was cool at the time, but nobody wants to be the strength coach for track because so many of the track coaches are going to hand you a program. You're like, oh shit. All right. I guess I'll do it. Uh, my creativity is absolved. I'm just a cheerleader now, you know, or whatever. But I mean, it was good for me because sometimes a coach would hand me a program and I would be like, uh, when are you going to deload or like, you know, or like, what's the, and I would, I would just be get to be an observer in the program. And I remember it was like with the throwers at Cal and I mean, they did really well. And, and, but it was funny because eventually like a guy would be like, 
it would be his eighth week of a program because there was like Bondarchuk influences in that one. And it's like, oh, just keep going till you adapt. And like some people were just like, I'm sick of this. It's eight weeks. Like, let's, you know, and but I, I eventually started to use VBT to actually track how long it took some people to adapt versus others. And I found like the fire plug shot putter would adapt in two or three weeks to a stimulus versus the more like almost like an Eeyore type athlete would be like four, you know, or more. And so you start to see that a lot in personality types. I feel like you can see if you look at bonder chucks, I, I, you, you look at the types of people. Um, I think it was even uh, Nick, Nick Garcia and Martin Bingeser did a seminar in Berkeley that I went to. And they were talking about Nick said he adapts really fast. And Martin t- says he takes a lot longer. And I could see that just looking at Martin seems like a very stable, reliable, steady moving type person in his personality and Nick seems like a little more of that fast twitch fire plug type person. I would probably be a really short adapting too. I'm like kind of ADD and I probably would, I would probably, so I, I think that, you know, if you're not running bond or Chuck, just to understand like the, just how long before people get bored, like you said, with Franz Bosch and variation, is this still alive to you? But that's where I think we, we, when you disconnect from nature so much, like for example, if you spend a lot of time in a week, like intuiting your warmups, for example, or even some of the stimulus, you still have a plan for, Hey, we're going to squat today. We're going to, you know, deadlift today. We're going to do this movement today. But when you get to it, you allow for a little creativity and, and like novelty, like Nick Winkleman talks about novelty drives attention. And as soon as you have attention, I believe it actually changes the way your body is stimulated, if that makes sense. Like you could give athletes the same exact prescription, but if one half of the group is very attentive because there is something that makes it novel, they are going to be stimulated from that and gain from it much better. So I think even at the heart of the bonder truck system is, well, just how novel is this? Is there a tension? Is there, and some athletes can really pull intention out longer than others. Um, And so that, so for me, all that to say is I used to be really into, you know, three weeks in a deload. load. Or I remember when I very first, um, I got into some of Verkashansky's templates way back in the day when I was like 23. And I found this template that worked so good, but it was so intense. You had to deload every third week. And I was looking at some of Neilio Mora's jump training stuff. And he would even have in season, he would go to a one-to-one, one week on, one week off occasionally just to get athletes ready. And so I, I was so, I was, and if I was coaching track, like you mentioned, if it was a track athlete, yeah, we probably have those in there much more. You know, those are definitely more present. Like I do write track and field programs. So online, I get a mixed bag. I have people who are the team sport and I have track and field competitors and we have national or even world meets to write for. So that's when that type of stuff will come in is the more regimented two on, one off, one on, one off, that kind of thing for track. For team sport, I just don't, I don't know. I think you're actually getting a little bit too far into it for team sport when you're doing that because it's it's team sport. Like it's every day is more novelty, you know, like every day you're playing and it's not the same as track where it's like, all right, I'm the high jumper. I'm you know, high jump today, <laughs> high jump next week, Monday, you know, or whatever. I, I think that because and, and you're digging into skills in track, like in track, you are digging into that like long jump. How can I get a few more inches out of this? You know, and and that process of digging, I do think requires a little more load and deload nuance. But I think for team sport, eh, I just don't. I think that if you're creating at least some novelty and attention throughout your warm up and you're allowing some level of auto regulation in the lifting portion, I think you can go a really long time. Like, I mean, you could go you could probably go 12 weeks 
without really deloading and get away with it if you were doing that, you know, but I mean, I, I, I would say I, I like when I write generally programs, my default, my middle ground is three and a half weeks load, half week deload. And that half week could be either a volume based uh, deload where it's, we drop the volume and you actually pop the intensity up a little bit, or it's just to like everything, you know, 60, 60, classic 60% volume, 60% intensity, everything kind of tails off. The other thing I have been playing with um, is Boris Chico's stuff. And I think this is where you know, like we talk about the answers found in nature. All right. Like, look at the stock market. Like, look at anything in nature. It's it's a chaotic trend. You know, you might trend upward, but as it trends upward, there's chaos as it trends upward. That's not like this linear. When's the last time you saw the stock market go up neatly three weeks and then it dropped and then it went up three weeks? Hey, that'd be great. We'd all be millionaires or billionaires, right? If we could follow that. Um <laughs> But I, I like how I've I've been getting into also how they that like distribution, week to week distribution is more randomized. And some literature and, and experience, and this is part of I guess where my interests are going. I write way more programs like this now. If you sign up for my sign up for my online training, here's a plug. If you sign up for my online training, you'll see a lot of times training days have a a, a tag assigned to it. It might say 37. That's 37 out of a hundred versus a fifty. A fifty every day is a flat line, typical straight progression. It might be a 37, it might be a 60, you know, where it's like there's more fluctuation throughout the week. And according to at least some people, and I, I haven't been doing this long enough to analyze trends. And as I've said, stated as well, data collection and processing is not my strong suit. I am not, my mind is not a sports science mind. It's much more sport coach mind, you know, more of that, like, let's process the chaos and let's, hey, this is creative solution to this problem right here, right now. Let's do it. That's more my mind. But as I've started to go through that more chaotic programming, I've gotten very good uh, feedback from clients on that. And uh, there's some, I think, Strong First and Pavel, they talk about that a little bit, like that variability, like they'll do like die rolled variability and those things. But I think they there's an article where they were talking about the Russians and, you know, it's try to figure out with anabolics. I don't know how you figure that out. But like, apparently the longevity was better in weightlifting when that more chaotic system was applied. Maybe it's just mentally easier or I don't know, like I maybe, of course, sometimes it doesn't seem like it would be if it's like, oh, today is like a 70% day and then, you know, it's like crazy volume. But I do look, I do believe the closer you can follow the principles of nature, the more longevity I think you'll probably end up having. And so that does make sense to me, but then it also could easily be an excuse just to spit anything out and not have a plan. I think Boris Shako very clearly had plans and he probably, I would love to talk with him about his different kind of chaotic, but I'm sure it all had a thought process behind it versus, hey, I'm just going to roll a random number generator and it's going to spit out completely random numbers for a month. I mean, it'd be fun to train like that too, within a certain constraint of things, right? Like you don't want to go like 90, 10. We did like, Hey, I did two 10 meter sprints today. And then tomorrow I did German volume squats. Like that would be a little extreme, but, um, so that's one area that I'm also exploring is, is, um, is almost like controlled chaos in a periodization program and for a track and field or an output sport, weightlifting track and field. Uh, and ultimately though, too, all this to say, Robbie, like if you have an athlete and they trust you and believe in your system and you show, Hey, you know, we're going to go three, one, three, one, three, one for the preseason here. And then we're going to get in a meet. So we're going to go two, one, two, one. And then it's gonna be four weeks out from championship. And we're going to go one, 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 one low deload. That's probably pretty darn good. And the athlete sees that thought process and they, they're bought into it. And that buy-in is pretty much just as good, I think. But then the question is, is, well, maybe is the longevity better is, 
maybe as an ADD athlete, more like cool with that more up and down type thing within the week, you know, or having, Hey, I have an athlete who tapped out on the Bonner Chuck and adapted faster. Maybe we do more die rolled variability where it's like, Hey, there is some randomness in this today that kind of peaks your randomness generating desire or whatever, you know? So I think there's a few different ways to go with it, but all that to be said, I, I don't deal as much as I used to. The deals are tend to be a little bit smaller. Um, I tend to go with the same stimulus longer actually than I used to, but I, I do, that's only tends to be if it's like a 14 day cycle. So it's like week one squats, week two half squats, you know, week back to week three squats, you know, like that kind of thing, um, that can prolong, um, cycle length. And so I, I tend to use more similar lifting stuff. I get more variability with the warm up. Like that's where that variability gets more built in. So that's more that creative variability and kind of working off of you as the athlete. Are you tracking anything um, when you're training individuals? Like, uh, you know, is there certain KPIs that you're you're following? So again, let's say, again, if, if it was me training with you, like, is there, like, is there certain, are you looking, are you, are you doing anything to look at any sort of trends with fatigue? Are you doing anything to look at certain trends with outputs? So, I mean, with fatigue, are you doing? I know, I know, people have have talked about using like uh, reactive strength index, mm-hmm. or you know, for readiness, or are you tracking like my bar velocity? Uh, like, is there? Are you, are you using any of those things? Do you think those things are bullshit? Like, to be yeah, honest, yeah, BBT like, is bullshit. <laughs> BBT well, is awesome. It's kind, of, it's kind, of, it's kind of like the again, and again, I, I say what I'm about to say will sound like this is like the whole like the whole world are seeing this but then like you step back and go right this is like my small tiny little world that i see like on social media because i'm in this whole like athletic development world so like obviously it's not the whole world and everyone's not seeing this and and everyone even within the athletic development world has not seen this little part of the world too but it just seems like it's it's almost as if like it's it's like I suppose it's like a pendulum and a circle, but it's kind of like we're in this gray zone of all, like we've gone from us, you know, fucking, we were stone age strength coaches who were just like, you know, make relationships and just fucking, you know, do this and that. And then it went to like ultra, like collect data and like be, you know, be more objective. And now it's all like, yeah, but the universe is quantum anyway. And we don't know where the electron is anytime. So it's all bollocks anyway. It's like, you know, Angus Bradley, basically, it's just like, ah, it doesn't matter to fuck. Like, does it just fucking do something, anything? But it's like, you know, it's just kind of like, I suppose it really just comes back to this, like, all right, it's like, it's structured chaos, basically. What else comes into my mind too, is like when John Kiley came on the scene five, six years ago and everybody was like, it's amazing what he's saying. I'm like, like, I was like, what? like John is just saying that you do need a plan. It just needs to be flexible. I was like, why is everyone finding this like amazing? Like everything, everyone's like, oh, he's destroyed periodization. Like, no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't at all. John, and even John, John's like, no, you still need a plan. You just need to know that your plan is going to have to be flexible and change because we're dynamic organisms. It's just like people just ran away with that altogether. But anyway, sorry, I, I'm rambling there. But sorry, the question was, are you yeah. doing anything to monitor during the training process? Like, are you doing anything to monitor fatigue? Are you doing anything to monitor? Is there any KPIs with regards to performance to give you an indication that, yeah, this training is getting what we want? Yeah, you know, I the VBT, I used to use a lot of that. It was more easy to use when I was at Cal because we had the Tendo's you know, sitting there a lot of times they're out of batteries, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we would, I didn't, I don't know. I always felt like this, this might sound bad, but I think it's very easy to 
overestimate parts of what you do. And I think it's very easy to underestimate parts of what you do. And I think when we get to strength and conditioning, I look at it a little bit like, you know, how many degrees of separation are there in this whole thing? You know, I've had the good opportunity to coach youth sports and I, I, I can't imagine almost being like a basketball coach on some level. Like, or I should say this, like when you actually coach the sport, I think you start to change the way that you look at all the stuff in the weight room from a KPI perspective. You know, there's stuff that matters a lot and there's stuff that doesn't matter as much. I do think I will say, do I, I mean, it's easy for me, I guess, given the context of what I do right now in my own job, you know, I'm not working with like a football, a soccer club where there is like more of an expectation for monitoring and things like that. But I've seen, I've seen uh, coworkers and colleagues put together incredible monitoring programs, like, like amazing, like literally amazing. Like if I had to use them, I would like stuff where it's like the athlete does an RSI jump and that determines the type of workout they're going to get. And it, that, and that worked really well. Like, I think it was a really good thing, but at the end of the day though, I think, well, um, you know, and, and I, I do use those types of things, but for me, it's a little bit more intuitive. I'll get to this in a second, but ultimately it's like, well, how much does it matter for, in terms of the win loss category, but then also what kind of experience is the athlete having? And so I think you have to, you do have to look at those and, and all I'm saying at this is I think when we over monitor the workout like crazy, it's like, all right, we're doing VBT. Now we're doing RSI. Now we're doing this. I do think that can chip away from the total experience of the the uh, the experience for the athlete i don't i feel like at the core of every strength and conditioning session is a uniquely human experience you know it's it's something that like i said like with the i believe i said this like with the squatting like the athlete who just lights up because of oh hey i lifted this heavy weight i just that felt good you know versus it's like you're this athlete we're always running metrics on you all right what's this number what's that number um i just think there is a line there in my opinion i mean i've seen that taken to the point where i've seen a, a national body run um, force plate data testing on athletes and not even give the data to the head coach, you know, it can get that fragmented. I'm like, well, what are you even doing this for? Like, this is, you know, it's kind of silly. So I, I, I tend to only collect as much as I need. So for a typical session, it might just be something intuitive. It might be, Hey, we're going to warm. let's say it's a jump day and we're warming up. And at the end of the warm up, we start to do jumps over like a hurdle. I actually like her running hurdle jumps a lot more than I like like a standing vertical jump. But for a testing perspective, you know, I get it. RSI and standing, a running jump is so much more athletic and coordinated. You're converting horizontal to vertical and deflecting yourself off the ground. You're working the ankle more and foot as more as a class two lever, where it gets to just doesn't dorsiflex as much. Let's just put it that way. So you're doing things that are more reflective of sport. And we could jump too, but like. I find athletes tend to get more joy out of jumping over a hurdle and, and you have the measurement, you know, you know what it is. So what I might do is as we're warming up, I'll just slowly, like, let's say I'll slowly put that hurdle up and I'm putting it up a little bit more. And then I'll just, I'll just use that to see where you're at. That's a one-on-one -on -one though. I can do that if it's a one-on-one, -on -one. give me 20 athletes. I can't do that anymore. So yeah, you know, maybe we come in and we do like an RSI. And I think RSI is going to be a little bit superior to standing vertical because standing vertical, you can game a little bit. If your nervous system's down a little bit, you can use a little bit more time. You know, you can finagle it. Uh, RSI, I think is a little bit more pure. Those, those qualities will start to fall off a little faster. So I do like the RSI. Um, and then you could adjust things if you needed to based off RSI. Um, I, I loved, um, yeah, former coworker of mine had an awesome, awesome RSI setup where he would, yeah, basically it's like you either go heavy lifting 
or if you're medium RSI, you do like sets, like a couple sets of 10, more of a tonic lift. If you are the worst RSI, you do like a general strength circuit that kind of sucks. You actually don't want to get the, you don't, I mean, from a, like a metabolic perspective, but so I, I like that kind of thing. I don't use VBT so much anymore, more because I don't know. I, I would rather, for the most part, I would rather get the metrics from, um, like speed-based movement. So I'd rather get your 20 yard dash, your 40, your fly 10, your jump. I would rather get those markers than get something from a standing position or a bar, um, if, if possible. Um, but I think that it, some, sometimes the VBT is meaningful. Like I have an online client who I didn't even tell him to do VBT. He just does it because he likes it. He's like, yeah, my VBT on squats and cleans was this last week. And you know, I, I'm in a really good place. And I ran this in the fly 10. I was like, cool. Like, that's awesome. It's meaningful to you. Um, cause yeah, people will say, oh, it's great. It's not, I just think if it, it's something that does give an athlete a target to shoot for. I would say the last thing is I do think the context of the VBT is important with the weight, because I would rather put VBT on like a clean from blocks or a high pull from blocks or like a hex, a high, like a hex deadlift with the handles. I would put it on that before I put it on like a deep back squat, just because I think that stuff that's a little more elastic by nature, once you get down like deep in a back squat, that's where the compensations, if you don't move well, can start to layer in, <laughs> you know, get a narrow ISA. It's like, hey, I'm going to intensify the thing that you're probably not great at and might cause your shape change a little bit in this. You know you know what I'm saying? Like, so if I do VBT it, and when I did it at Cal, it was tended to be more the explosive stuff, you know, the stuff that fits more with speed. I, I don't want to intensify necessarily something that's more force related just because, that's not you and your sport. We'll just do sets of eight or 10 on that. You know, why, what, what's so bad about that? You know, why do we have to, um, so I, I, I think that it's more, that's kind of the way I leaned with the VBT. And then, yeah, speed is always a KPI fly 10, 20 yard, 40 yard, 30 yard, 30 meter. That stuff is to me, that's probably the number one. Like if I'm timing or measuring anything, it's your sprint speed. And then if I'm going to jumps, it's going to be a hurdle jump. Usually it just, it's funny. It sounds like so unscientific, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, you got leg height and all this stuff, but I, I like that because it's more meaningful for the athlete. And then, yeah, if I want to get, if I want to do something more typical, yeah, I'll do vertical jump and four jump or RSI, but I, I don't use those as often. Actually the, the mat in the gym I work out of is currently broken, so I can't do it right now anyways. <laughs> so I hope, yeah, I hope that gives you a little bit there without those. It, it does. Yeah, it, it does. Listen, I, I've tons more. I just making notes here because I've tons more I want to ask you about, but uh, I got to call it here because I have to go today, but there's definitely a part two here and I'm terrible at this. So I was going to part two and I'd be like, oh, sir, we haven't spoken for, or we haven't done a podcast since four years ago, but mm -hmm. it's part two. But no, I'd love to get you back on like hopefully if we can get a time like this again that suits like within the next week or two or three weeks whatever again whatever your schedule my schedule is pretty open but um i just want you to for the listeners just plug your the resources you have because you have some phenomenal resources like your the, the books you have um speed strength's a phenomenal book i actually don't officially have it i was actually down with david gray last november and i just saw it there and I was like oh that book by Joel <laughs> and I just like David was just there like talking away to me and I was like yes yeah I was like Tommy Jones what's that um but so I got, I got and I was very impressed very very impressed with 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 the way it was laid out uh that too but also tell us about this course you have Elastic Essentials too so yeah just to tell us about you know the books you have out the, the online training program and that you do and uh this new course 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So yeah, I have a yeah, Speed Strength really set in 2018. Um, that's on Amazon. And so the course Elastic Essentials came out about a year and a half ago. Uh, that was basically the collection of uh, how my pr uh, process with physical preparation changed in my time at Cal. From when I stepped in and everything's like, very regimented movement prep and more of a maximal strength focus. And then everything that I saw that didn't work with that and how I've integrated, you know, we haven't, you know, didn't get to talk today about like integrating like some of Jay Schrader's stuff as well, or like what I've, what I've picked and there at Darian Barr and all these different people. So it was kind of how I integrated everything that I learned along the way. Um, and I felt like it was really beneficial to athletic development, like more elasticity, more spring, the lifts converting more to sprinting and jumping qualities and explosive athletic qualities. And so that course was all or is all based off of um, of that principle and my evolution. I also have yeah online training and, and things like that at justflysports.com. And then I also uh, I'm really excited about this as I have. Uh, a sprinting acceleration course. So within Elastic Essentials, there's a lot on upright locomotion uh, and upright running, but I didn't have anything on actual acceleration. I know everyone loves that, but it's it's um, been a really cool chance to get into more of the motor learning side of that. Like why do people run the way they do looking at things from a, a hardware, a software perspective? And the big thing with this course is it goes really into the 3D. What do you see when you observe from a front or a rear view and why are athletes rotating the way they do? Like why do the best combine athletes spin and rotate quickly and briefly before that they really get into that first step? Like those kind of questions. So it's going to get into more of the 3D nature and components and a lot of motor learning components within sprint acceleration I think it's going to be an awesome course. I'm partway through the recording process now for it. So those are some things out on my radar. And yeah, I hope whoever's listening gets a chance to check that out. That's sweet, man. That's sweet. The, the notes I've made here, one thing that we spoke last time on WhatsApp on a call, we were speaking about, you know, sprinting and rotations when we sprint and you were mm -hmm. like getting very passionate. I was like, that is definitely something we need to talk about. So that's a podcast in itself. So I've made a note here that that's definitely something I do want to get back to you with. Um, and you kind of just touched on it there with the likes of Jay Schroeder and Adarian. I actually, the second note I have is your influences. I actually want to get a little more into like how those influences have kind of, you know, shaped the way you think. And cause like, I think what I know for me, like, you know, you have certain things in your program and there's a story to every piece of your program. If you like, you know what I mean? Like if you were to be with me and say, why is your program like that? And I could be like, oh, I suppose that was kind of influenced from Alvar Meal. Do you know what I mean? Cause mm -hmm there was this time where I was studying and I came across this and it made sense and I, I implemented it and it went well and it's just been there ever since. Now that doesn't mean that it's the best thing. And I do, you mentioned something earlier on the very beginning of our, well, at the very, near the start of our conversation that, you know, to really investigate why you're doing what you're doing. It's very important to always keep investigating that sort of keep asking yourself that question. Like, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this again? Or why mm -hmm. did I initially do this? Because obviously if your knowledge base is getting, is getting greater and your frame of reference is getting larger. Well, now because of that larger frame of reference, what you believed was best practice with the way your program back then might be anymore. Cause like, Oh, cause now I know this, you know? So, I mean, even like learning the compression expansion model, you're kind of like, Oh, like, Here's another reason why really heavy strength training after a while is not good for athleticism because you're compressing the fuck out of yourself mm -hmm. and you're 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 robbing relative motions on athleticism. But anyway, I'm I'm gonna if I keep going here, I'll, I'll make this mm -hmm. podcast too long. So yeah, I have sprinting and rotations, your influences. Also, just keen to get. I think I might ask you this on our previous podcast, but I'm just keen to see where you are with it now. Just your learning process again. So like, I mean, you're a very creative person. Obviously, you know you have books out, you have courses out. So there there definitely is a creative, um instinct within you you're very creative so 
like what does that creative process look like what is your learning process what is your 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 creative process so i'm very interested just to hear how you go about that whatever that is you know is it a big whiteboard is it no i Mm -hmm. walk out in nature and i bring a dictaphone and i talk or Mm -hmm. i watch like fucking documentaries or you know it's you laugh at this now people laugh it's when i have sex you know whatever it is like whatever your muse is like that's i'm just i love creativity and and i know you do too i think a lot of us within the human performance round we love creation i think that's why we can pull so much from like diverse fields where like you know you're saying you read david data but you know it's just like that's an author who's brought something into creation just this great like wisdom of like men mm. you know masculine energy versus female energy but like as well, I can remember when I was intern at Altus. Like we at the time, we were like mad into watching the Master Chef series on on Netflix. And mm-hmm. the reason was like we were like, do you know why we like that? Because it's mastery, and we appreciate that through mm-hmm. coaching. Like something to do with mastery, I just love. So the learning process, and uh, yeah, they're the three sort of notes I've really made down there. So your sprinting and rotations, your influences, really getting into like you know the Jay Schroders, the Darian Bars, the Gary Gray with the or the sorry, the Gary Gray, the Gary Wards, the Fee. Dan and Chris, we we touched on, and so many other people I know that you you've mentioned throughout the the show. So listen, I, I definitely wanted to touch on that whenever we can make it happen again. But is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to touch on, or is there anything at all? I think I mean it sounds like there's a lot for part two, so maybe I'll save it till then. But um, yeah, yeah. Kind of, thanks for letting me kind of uh run through my own self audit of my program through the this interview. I appreciate you having me on. No, it's great. It's great. And it, it helps too with consolidating sort of your, your modeling system in your head and where you're at currently. But I appreciate it, Joel, because you were top of mind awareness of me there lately just with everything that I've been studying. And then obviously I'm always following your stuff. And I was like, I'd really be interested to know where he, he is currently with his own training model. So appreciate it. But so uh, listen, for everyone listening, hopefully we'll get a part two out pretty soon after this because Joel is a wealth of knowledge and just a great human being and someone who I always love to interact with and discuss with. So for now, until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.